Welcome to the church of coffee and pajamas. I had to get dressed up, but I guess you guys get to stay home and just sit on your favorite couch or chair. Good morning. Uh, This morning, I wanted to just open up by reading from Psalm 23. It's one of my favorite psalms, and I feel like it's relevant to many of our lives today. Uh, There's so much sickness, there's so much death, there's disease. Um, It's so hard sometimes to uh, remember that the Lord is with us, but I wanted to take our minds to Psalm 23 to begin. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I find great comfort in that psalm because it just talks about how no matter what the circumstances in life are, whether I'm by quiet waters, green pastures, or in the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. I do not have to fear. I do not have to be afraid. The circumstances can be easy or the circumstances can be difficult, but God is with me. And that is the message that we want everyone to uh, receive is that the Lord Jesus loves you. And he's with you. He wants to be with you in your life. And he wants us to spend eternity with him in paradise. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are with us. That is such a great miracle to know that the God, the creator of everything, wants to be intimate with each and every one of us. That you are with us in our day to day. And you'll bring us into glory when we pass away. So Father, Help that message to go out from us. Help us to be able to be good messengers of that good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. It's a really familiar story for those who kind of grew up in the church reading the Gospels. It's the story of the faith of the centurion. So it's in Luke chapter 7, and it's verses 1 through 10. I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, And then I'm just going to read it. It's very familiar, and I see a lot of, uh, well, let me just read it. Let's begin. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all these things in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom master his master valued highly, was sick and was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation, and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
And that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For my, I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is a really familiar story, and from our perspective, it has a real happy ending, right? We have a problem. We have a sick servant, and it's a servant that's well-loved. It's a beloved servant, and he's near death. The feeling of the situation, we're familiar with that kind of scenario, right? Someone who is close to us, I don't want him to die. I'm going to miss him. We want the Lord to heal him. I just want things to go back to the way they were. And so the solution is go get Jesus. He will heal him. And so in this story, the centurion sends some Jewish elders. Send the people who are close to God. God will hear them. And they tell Jesus how much this guy deserves to have Jesus' time. He loves Israel, and he even built the synagogue where we worship. And then there's a big surprise in this. is a centurion, a non-Jew, a Roman soldier, a commander over hundreds, says, I do not deserve. He has great humility and great understanding of Jesus' authority. He has it right. I, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. I am not worthy to come to you. He's very humble. And it's surprising because him being a Roman centurion, he could just say the word and have Jesus brought to him without permission. But instead, he asks permission. He recognizes Jesus' authority. He recognizes that we are all under Jesus' authority. And he sounds just like a soldier ought to sound, right? He says, I am under authority. I also have authority. And the way it works is you say it, and then it's done. It happens. I don't know if the centurion really understood who Jesus really was. I know he had heard stories about Jesus healing people of delivering from demons, that he had wisdom, right? I know he, at a minimum he knew that. I don't think anybody in this story quite understood who it was they were talking to yet. Jesus, as it says in Colossians, was the visible image of the invisible God. All things were created by, this, by Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth, both visible and invisible All the thrones, all the powers, the rulers and authorities, all things were made by him. And they were made for him. He is before all things and and in him all things hold together. I don't know if they quite understood that yet. I kind of don't think they did. But they had this right. I don't deserve to have you come. Whatever you decide, I ask you to come and to heal. And if you decide to heal... I know that all you have to do is say the word, and it's done. And his faith amazed Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, 
He was amazed at him. This is only one of two places in all of the Gospels where it records that Jesus was amazed. He says, I have not found such great faith even in all of Israel, implying that Israel is exactly the place where one would find such great faith. He was surprised. He was impressed. He was filled with wonder. The other place where Jesus was amazed was in Israel's lack of faith. It's recorded in Mark 6 that Jesus was amazed. He was startled. He was astonished at Israel's lack of faith in him. And in this story, we get the happy ending. The servant was healed. We don't really hear much about the servant other than he was sick almost to the point of death, and then he's healed like as if nothing had happened. Mission accomplished. Everything was back to normal. But I was encouraged this week to stop and think. If Jesus has the authority to just say the word and they're healed, he also has the authority to say no. He has the authority and the right to say not yet, or it's actually God's will that he passes. I stopped and I stood back and I realized that God sees the entire picture. He sees the entire picture of this life and the next life. And to him, our health isn't necessarily the most important thing. Our spiritual health is, but our physical health isn't necessarily the most important. The most important to God is our faith in him, our trust in him. Our close relationship with him is what matters the most. In a world where death happens a lot, where sickness happens a lot, oftentimes it becomes our mission, it becomes our desire to see if we can get God to heal the people who are close to us. And perhaps we, we feel like we just don't want to lose that person. Or we just want things to go back to the way they were. Witnessing suffering and experiencing loss is a big burden to carry. But Christ's mission was to build trust in him and in God, to ask people to have faith in him. And no matter the circumstance, no matter what the outcome, that they cling to him, whether they are life in green pastures or life in the shadow of death, that they are are close to God, they put their trust in him that way. So it's easy to read this story and see when we start to that it's more about faith and understanding who Jesus is than on healing. The story is titled correctly. It's about the faith of the centurion, not about the healing of the servant. This healing in this story was but a shadow of the ultimate healing that Jesus was there to bring, right? However, if you're like me, it is tempting to read this story And to try to find, like, clues or a formula for getting God to miraculously heal. To mimic some of the things in here to God so that God will heal my friend or my family member. The danger in that is that you can start to approach Jesus as if he's your genie. And Jesus is not your genie here to grant your wishes. But it's the other way around. We are here to grant his wishes 
The story is very relatable. Many of us have known or know somebody who is close to death that unless a miracle happens, death is certain. The only hope for them to live a while longer is if the Lord miraculously heals. And so we understand the tension, the feeling of desperation, the timers ticking down, nearing zero, and we pray many of the same things to God that these people were saying to Jesus in the story. This person deserves to, to have you heal them. And we share with God some of the good things that they have done, right? I currently have an old friend from high school who is dying of cancer. He has a football-sized tumor somewhere attached in it, somewhere in his organs. And he's had, he had one football-sized tumor removed seven years ago. And since then, he's had other sized tumors removed in the last seven years. And, and they can't do anything about this one. There's like too much scar tissue, too much buildup. It's attached to the organs in a way that they can't go in and remove it anymore. So they've given him days. It's really tense. He's 46 years old. He has two beautiful children. He's happily married. He has hundreds of people praying for him right now to be healed, to be given peace in the midst of this. He's been a light for the Lord for as long as I've known him. He's brought many people to the Lord. He's led many people to Jesus. And if anyone deserves to be healed, I suppose it's him. And, and we believe, just like they do, like the centurion said in the story, all God has to do is say the word, and it's done. But if he does not heal my friend, I need to accept that God did not choose to heal him for some reason. Not in this way. He didn't heal his body. I hope he does, but if he doesn't, I have to accept it. And a lot of times, I think most of the time, the reason is hidden from us. Why does this happen? It's easy to ask ourselves and play mind games with ourselves. Does this sickness mean God is, is mad at me? Is he punishing me? Did they do something? Did I do something to deserve this? Do, do I just lack faith? Am I not, do I not have enough faith? You know? When in reality, the sickness may just be the result of living in a fallen world. Job is an example of someone who was just hammered to pieces with sickness, with suffering, with tragedy. And he also questioned, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to get this to happen to me? And like Job, we may never get the answer why. Will we have the faith in God's goodness if he does not heal? Or when he doesn't heal the way we're asking him to heal? In this story, the healing happened but will the healing happen for us when we ask? It's a mystery. I started looking into the idea of healing and miracles in general, and, and I don't have easy answers, but this is what I know about them. In my research, I discovered that there are about 40 miracles recorded in the Gospels, and not even all of them are healing miracles. I think it's easy for us to forget that miracles are extremely rare. They are the exception and not the rule. 
We're told that the Spirit gives different gifts to the body of Christ, and one of which is the gift of healing. And I've been many, a part of many groups that have prayed for people who were sick, that they would get well. And I've heard an Isaiah quote most often when we start praying for healing. They say, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And so I looked at that verse this week from Isaiah 53. And when I look at the verse in context, I think it's talking more about Jesus paying the penalty of our sins for us, bringing ultimate healing to our relationship with God. Listen to what it says. It says, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The emphasis is on the ultimate healing, the eternal healing that when we pass away, we are in right relationship with the Lord. I don't feel comfortable telling my friends that Jesus received his wounds so that their cancer would disappear or so that their headache would go away. Jesus received his wounds so that they could live for him now faithfully and that when they die, they will spend eternity with Jesus in paradise. So what are, what are miracles, what are signs and wonders here for in the first place? Why heal the centurion's servant? Was it the prize for having just the right kind of faith, or was it for something else? If you look, stop and think, if you stop and look at what, the way miracles function in scriptures, you discover something. They are always used as evidence for proving who the messenger is whether it be Jesus, John the Baptist, or one of the other prophets of the Old Testament. Miracles, signs, and wonders gives credibility to the one bringing this message from God. Ultimately, the miracles are there sent to back up what they are saying, right? They say, we need to repent and turn to God, and here's proof, and they perform a miracle. So this person's words needs to be listened to. The Gospel of John records seven miracles, and he refers to them as signs. And he says at the end of his Gospel, in in chapter 20, that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These signs are so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Later, Paul writes to the Corinthian church about the gift of tongues, a miraculously given ability to speak in other languages by the Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 14 that tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So these miraculous signs happen to spark faith in the unbeliever. It's to reveal Jesus to somebody, to authenticate his identity to people. I have prayed many times for healing, for my family members, for friends, and I've never been part of a healing miracle yet. I want to. But I have been part of another kind of miracle, and I want to share this story because it 
It'll help illustrate what signs and wonders are about, what they are for. That they're not just for our comfort here and now, but that they are to demonstrate that Jesus is who he says he is. In my early 20s, I was a meter reader for the electric company. And when you're a meter reader, during that time, you had a handheld computer that you take with you. And when you'd go into the office, you'd pick up your computer and you'd find out what route is yours that day. You had to read all these meters and then you could be done for the day. Well, this particular day, I had a new house added to my route. And when I got to the house, I pulled into the driveway And there sitting next to the meter was a little lady, and she was surrounded by animals. I pulled into the driveway. I got out of the car, and it was like a scene from a Disney movie. Animals just kind of came from from nowhere and gathered around her. Three cats came out of the bushes and kind of circled around her feet. A couple small dogs ran around from the other side of the house. And then she had two big like German shepherd-looking dogs sitting one on each side of her, and they were eyeballing me really fiercely. And she gave them a little command in, in a foreign language, like in German or something, and they sat still, and they just kept their eye on me. And I was amazed at this. I was like, wow, you really have a way with animals, don't you? And she says, yeah, I love animals. In fact, an animal saved my life once. And she told me this story. She says, three years ago, there was a house fire at the house that we were at. And she said that she was in the fire. She was in the house taking a nap when, this house, when the fire started. And one of her dogs drug her to safety. The dog died in the fire. She experienced burns, but her life was saved because the animals drug her to safety. And for the last three years, she's been in recovery. She pulled up her sleeves and revealed that she had skin grafts on her arms. She had been badly burned on her arms. And so for the past three years, she'd been living with her son two miles down the road while the house was being rebuilt and while she was recovering from her injuries. And as she's telling her story, I kept getting this sense that I was supposed to tell her, Jesus loves you. I kept getting this urge to just tell her, man, Jesus loves you, but I felt like it would come out of nowhere. It would be a really random thing. I didn't want to just give her some sort of bumper sticker message. Hey, Jesus loves you. Thanks for telling me your story. Goodbye. I wanted to do something more than that, and I couldn't figure out how to tell her, hey, Jesus loves you. It was really brief. I was listening to her story, and I chickened out. I left. I didn't tell her that Jesus loved her, and that really bothered me. I continued on my route, and a couple hours later, I determined, you know, I'm going to go back, I'm going to drive back in front of the house, and if she's outside there, I'll stop, and Lord, I'll tell her that Jesus loves her. I'll figure out a way. So sure enough, I drive back there, and she's there, so I got to get out, and the same scene happened again. I pulled in the driveway, and here come all the animals, and so I just made up some story about why I needed to be back there to reread the meter. I misread it or something. And I started asking her about uh, how she's dealt with this tragedy in her life, this difficult circumstance. I said, hey, do, do you go to church or something? You know, trying to break the ice. And when I said church, she went off. She got really angry. She got emotional. She, she had an abusive mom who was uh, an alcoholic, And her alcoholic mom would send her to church 
alone. And when she'd get back from church, her, her mom would tell her that she's going to hell. So her idea of church and God was, was really negative, to say the least. And I was like, oh, great. How am I going to tell her that Jesus loves her now? And then she says, that's why I like animals so much. We have an understanding. And she started getting emotional again, and she told me this story about um, when she got out of the hospital, they adopted a cat. And this cat was also beat up. He had, they called him Stubbs because his tail had, had gotten caught off and caught, cut off in an accident. And this cat was, was very close to her. The cat would sleep next to the break in her arm as if to take care of her. And the cat was like her therapy animal. She would talk to the cat. She was describing this relationship she had with this cat. And it was amazing to me how close she was with it. And she says, and when we moved to this house three weeks ago, the cat went missing and we haven't found him in three weeks. And I miss him so much. I've gone and done everything I can. I've put up signs in the neighborhood. I've asked the neighbors. Her son, who still lives at the house, uh, at the other house, just said he's not here. Her husband was getting upset at her for wanting the cat back. He said, it's been three weeks. The cat's probably dead, probably got eaten by coyotes because it was a wooded area or something. It's been three weeks. Give it up. And I asked her if I could pray for her. She said, Sure. And, and I prayed this. I said, Jesus, will you show her how much you love her by bringing the cat back? And as I prayed that, I couldn't believe I said that. I didn't realize I had said that until it was too late. And then I said, okay, since I said that much, I'm just going to get all prophetic now. And I told her, okay, in three days, go back to the house and the cat will be there. I was just taking a lucky stab at it. I don't know why I was saying all that stuff, but I did it anyway. And she appreciated it, and I left, and that was that. So the next day, I'm on my other route, and I get a phone call on my cell phone, and it's the customer service department for my company. Hello? Hey, is this Jeff? Yeah? Hey, did you talk to some lady about a cat yesterday? And I thought I was busted. I thought I was in big trouble. And I said, cat? Uh, yeah. I thought I was going to lose my job. And she says, the cat is back. you got to call her. She just called us and told us the whole story. She was looking for you, and she wants you to call her. Here's her number. I couldn't believe it. I called her back, and she says, I'm so glad you, you called. You didn't know this, but yesterday was my birthday. And my son came over with his girlfriend, and we all celebrated here at the new house. And after my son left and went back home, uh, I told my husband what you had prayed. And I told my husband that I was going to go back to the other house, whether you like it or not, and look for the cat. And my husband didn't act mad at me, and I was... I was Curious as to why. I figured he would be really mad at me. But he just said, it's all right. And he told me to turn around. And when I turned around, my son was standing there behind me with the cat in his arms. So I guess what had happened is after the party, the son went back to the house. When he pulled into the driveway, there was the cat waiting. So he picked up the cat, 
drove all the way back really quick. And as he's driving back, that's when she's telling her husband the story about how I prayed and what I told her. And she says, and I just wanted to call you and tell you the story because now I know that Jesus is real and that he loves me. Now I know that Jesus is real and that he loves me. And when we hear about other miraculous stories happening, that was the outcome. Now we know. If you want to pray for miraculous things to happen, pray for it to be a sign for the unbeliever. I don't have the gift of healing, but I still pray for healing. I believe that healing can happen. I also learned that they don't always happen. And in our story today, we resonate with the centurion who says, all you have to do is say the word and it will happen. Because we believe that too. We know that all God has to do is say, okay, and it will be done. Jesus just needs to say the word and the healing will happen. I do not believe we should stop asking God to heal. It says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. He cares for us all. And he will be with us even when things are not going the way we planned. And it has nothing to do with what anyone deserves. If anything, the centurion has it right. We do not deserve. We are not worthy. But God gives us his attention anyway. For us who already believe, we need to put our trust in God, no matter what the circumstances, no matter if there's a miraculous healing or not. We pray for our faith to increase, and we pray for signs so that others may know that Jesus is alive and Jesus is real. We pray for the kind of faith that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the outcome is, that we trust in God's love and care and goodness. The purpose of the healing in the faith as a centurion was to provide us the audience to provide the people of that time a glimpse of the eternal healing that Jesus was there to bring for everyone who would believe, both for the Jew and the non-Jew. He was there to bring healing for the nations. This healing in this story is just a shadow of the ultimate healing that Jesus is here to bring. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we pray for our faith to increase, our trust to increase in you. But we also pray for salvation, that there would be signs and wonders done in and through us so that people who have not yet believed would come to believe, that they would listen to the message of the gospel. We pray for souls to be saved. We pray for your people to walk faithfully with you and willingly follow your authority whether it be in green pastures, still waters, or the valley of the shadow of death, help us to be faithful to you, Lord. And Father, heal our world from sickness and from sin. Amen. The hope that we have, the ultimate hope that we have, is that one day all our sicknesses, all our diseases, all the pain and all the suffering will be gone, and it's because of Jesus. He is our hope. It says in Revelation 21 that in that day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow or crying 
or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come soon. And until he comes, we are to go and be the church. Ready, set, break. Break.